Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How are we all today? I trust that we had a good Thanksgiving. Matt covered that, but you know, I like that feedback too. Uh, being a teacher, you hate to come up on the stage or in front of your classroom and it's all blank stares. So thank you, you laughed, that's good, that's good. You know, we try not to make you cry in class, but we might make you laugh just a little bit. Um, and as he said, hopefully you um, had a good Thanksgiving, you had a little turkey, you had a little nap, a little bit of football maybe, a little parade, things like that. So hopefully you've enjoyed your week. Uh, so my title today is Hearing Aids, How Can We Hear God Better? Now that sounds kind of different, um, but as many of you know, I wear hearing aids. And there was an incident, and I lost some of my hearing, and I didn't want to admit that I had lost some of my hearing because I was too young to wear hearing aids and certainly too good-looking to wear hearing aids and all of the things that the ego, especially the male ego, likes to tell you. But the turning point in this journey was when I'm sitting down with an audiologist and they slip a couple in so you can hear. And it was absolutely mind-blowing to me how much I was missing. There was noise out there, there were sounds out there, but I was completely unaware because I needed some help hearing. That's the point of this today. I've got four different points, as you can see there, that I think God is speaking. I think God is communicating. I think that sometimes it's on us. So this is not um, the be-all and end-all. This is my observations. This is something that I've struggled with and talked to God with and others for many, many years because it's important to me. And so I just want to share what something I've learned. I also want to be clear this is not a formula. For those of us who are coming out of a very law-based religious uh, background, I don't know about you, but I always felt like every week or two or a special speaker would come in and here's the next 12 steps to you doing A, B, or C. And I could usually get about six of them and then I was done. And I was tired. And as I've said before, if you've heard me speak, I got to a point where I just couldn't do more. There was just, I was on, the, I was on um, a treadmill, and I just couldn't do more. So I hope that there's, there's something in here that you can take, because I'm sure there are people who are newer Christians, people who have been Christians a really, um, a really long time, so hopefully there's something in here that will be of help to you. So the first question I have, and feel free to answer, because again, that whole teaching thing, um, do we need to hear from God? We do, right? So we want to navigate life well. Now, there's a couple of different ways we can learn, and the Bible's an amazing, amazing book, right? This is the basis for all of our uh, belief system. This is how we know about Christ, and we know about his sacrifice and, and, and what he's done for us. But there are some things that the Bible doesn't cover. The Bible doesn't tell you which job you should take. The Bible doesn't tell you where you should move. Unless you found it in your Bible, and I assume you won't share it with me, but at least point it out where it is, if it's got the specifics for you. But, but that's not there. So then I think that we need to hear from God. We need to hear his voice. So I want to take some time today to talk about how did this used to happen, and how might, I, how might it happen now? Now, there's another really good way that we can learn. We can learn through experience. Anybody learn through experience? Was that a pain-free experience? Not always. I mean, it would be really great, and we can learn from others, but we as humans, maybe especially the male part of the humans, we can do it ourselves, right? But I think also that's where we start. How many of you have had kids, and when they're two or three, at some point it's I do it, right? They want to do it on their own, so this is ingrained in us um, as humans. So I firmly believe that if we change our thinking, we can change what we believe and what we understand. 
If we change what we believe about God, then we can change how we interact with him. Because again, I think he's speaking, I think he's sharing, but it's, it's up to us to maybe pay a little bit more attention. So there's a couple of different camps when I've talked to people about this that I've run into. And some don't think God wants to talk to us at all. So we'll deal with that in a minute. And then others don't necessarily understand how does this work because they have preconceived notions of what God's done in the past or what they've seen in the Bible that may not be applicable uh, to us today. So why is it we think that God doesn't want to speak to us? I think it's because, or at least in my observation from what I've done, is I screwed something up yesterday, and so I still think he's mad at me. Right, because if you, in your relationship with your spouse, with a friend, if you've hurt them somehow, how many times do you run right over to them and say something to them? Sometimes you do, but sometimes that person needs time to cool off. God doesn't. God knows who you are. He knows everything you've done, good, bad, or indifferent, and guess what? He loves you anyway. And sometimes we act like when we go to him and talk about this, that he's surprised. He's not. He's not shocked at all. So why is it that we, that we, we do this? Um, through the lens of God's grace, we know this isn't true. We know that he loves us unconditionally. We know that he's there for us, that he wants to talk to us, that he wants to um, be, be in there with us. So let's take a minute and think about how does God see you? I don't know if you think about this much at all. Sometimes I do. The creator of the universe sees you as righteous once you accept Christ. Shouldn't that get you out of bed in the morning? On your worst day, when the entire world is falling down around you, and hopefully you don't have many days like that, but if you do, Christ died for you. For you. That's exciting, right? I mean, that's, that's something that I think that we, we should be motivated by. He knows you, and he loves you anyway. And sometimes, for me at least, that's a tall ask. I mean, because, you know, hey, we all have our moments. Um, and if you don't believe that, Chris is right there. You can talk to her after the service, and, and she'll let you in on a couple of those secrets. So let's talk about the preconceived notions that we have when we look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is great. The Old Testament can teach us many, many things. But also, it isn't necessarily relevant to how we hear God today. So if we go back to the Old Testament, and there are many cases of this, we see um, God speaking through certain people. For a minute, I want to talk, though, about Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where we see the fall of man. And you guys have probably heard this story many different times, but there's something I find that's interesting there. Adam and Eve decide to make clothes out of leaves, essentially. And then when they hear God coming, they hide. Did you ever think about the other side of that coin? They were hiding because they were ashamed, not because they weren't used to God walking with them. So they were used to walking around with God on a regular basis. So does that mean that maybe we can have that too? That we can have that type of relationship? We can have that where we say, hey God, what do you think about this? Or hey God, I'm really upset about that. Or I really think this is good. Or I really think it isn't. Now, sometimes people think, well, God doesn't, isn't going to tell me. Okay, well, Romans, in Romans 8, 32, the New Living Translation, it says, since he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
Now, I'm a history teacher, so I'm going to throw a little bit of history in here because I can't resist, but I promise it'll be small. Um, I have a lecture that I have given many times, and some of my former and current students are in here, about crucifixion. I don't know if you've read about crucifixion. Um, probably um, the Greeks invented it, and the Romans perfected it. They were very good. But essentially, we think about Christ died for us. Christ was tortured to death for us. If you go and look at the beating and the, the physical trauma that his body endured, he was tortured to death. God knew that ahead of time, and Jesus knew that ahead of time. So think about that. If he was willing to send his own son to be tortured to death for you, do you really think he's going to go, no, I'm not going to tell you that? I don't think so. So I think if we start to position ourselves with God and understanding how much he loves us, understanding how much he's already done for us, this can change how we think about what he's saying to us. Uh, the other thing that we see in the Old Testament past the fall is that pretty much if you wanted to hear from God, you had to be the king, the priest, or a prophet. Um, in 1 Samuel, if you remember the story, Samuel's receiving his calling from God, and he goes to the priest, and the priest says, I am not hearing anything. Just respond, and God will talk to you. But it was very, very few. Uh, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, comes out and calls Dan uh, David out on his sin and the things that he had done. The high priest, think about this job. The high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, which is a little room set aside, and there's a huge veil from top to bottom. And he had to go in there, and they had bells on his robe, and they had a cord around his feet, because if he wasn't pure enough, he died. And they had to have some way to get him out of there. That's a heck of a way to take over a new position. Did you ever think about that? <clears throat> You're it now, and the last guy got killed on the job. It's a little rough. It's a little rough. Um, Jesus changed all of that. Right? I mean, the other thing we think of, and this is where I, I, I see people still struggling, is the other big way that we've seen God speak to us is Moses in the burning bush. I don't know about you, but if a bush started talking to me, I might be a little concerned. Right? I mean, this isn't what we would expect to see today. Uh, the other way, of course, is that we see that people think of as Gideon and the fleece, and he puts the fleece out and he's asking God for that. I think all that changed once Jesus came. So if we take a look at Matthew 27, um, verse 50, and Jesus cried out again in a loud, agonized voice and gave up his spirit voluntarily, sovereignly dismissing and releasing his spirit and his body to his father's plan. And verse 51, at once the veil of the Holy of Holies from the temple was torn from bottom, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split apart. This is symbolism of God tearing it. No man did this. It didn't go from bottom to top. It came from top to bottom. And now this means that we have access to Almighty God. Is that cool? Or is it just me? I mean, think about this. We can ask someone who knows everything, who has seen everything, knows the future. He's all-powerful. Isn't that the person we should be asking? Right? I mean, you, I hope you have mentors in your life. I have some people who are really, really smart, but not one of them's God. So I think this is, is something to at least examine. So hearing aid number one, we have to believe he wants to communicate to us. He's not up there withholding from us. He actually wants to speak. So I think this starts to realign how we think about this. Uh, in John 16, 3, he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you in all truth, for he won't speak of his own initiative. He'll guide you in whatever he hears from his father. 
Galatians 4, and Paul talks about this again later. Um, and because you are sons, he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. I don't know if you've ever looked at the Greek there, but Abba is Daddy. So the picture that I have in mind, those of you with kids or you've hung out with little kids, think about that moment when there may be two and they crawl up in your lap and they sit on your lap and they want to be hugged and they want to be comforted. That's the relationship. That's what Paul's referring to. So that doesn't sound to me like a relationship that's cold. It doesn't sound like a relationship that is pushed aside or a relationship that is him withholding from us. So uh, number two is, of course, we know this, he speaks through the Holy Spirit. So now that Jesus has died, now that Jesus has retur hasn't returned yet, he goes to heaven and he sends the comforter. So let's talk for a minute about what that looks like. John 16 says, but I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him the Holy Spirit and he will be in close fellowship with you. Now there's a couple of people in here who know Greek really well, so I'm gonna butcher this word <clears throat> and I apologize in advance. But I believe the, the Greek word here is parakletos. Uh, something along those lines, but it's this idea of someone who's called in to help. And in some sense, it's like uh, a lawyer who comes in. But one pastor I heard um, described it this way. How many of you watch football? Anybody in here? We watch a little football. And we've all seen the injury, right? The guy goes down. It's an ankle injury. It's a knee injury or something like that. The trainers come out on the field, and it's clear that he cannot get up on his own. And what do they do? You get one guy under one side, you get one guy under the other, and they guide him off the field. That's the vision of the Holy Spirit that I have. He's there to pick you up, to come right up under your shoulder, to grab you underneath your side, and walk with you. So if we have that living inside of us, shouldn't we be maybe paying attention? So there's a number of scriptures uh, here uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God or the sons of God in Romans. In John, the helper whom a father will send in my name will teach you all of the things that I have said, and there's, there's more and more. Okay, so the next question is, we have, we, if, we, if we've established that the Spirit's here, and if we've established that God wants to speak to us, then how do we know if it's him? How do we know it wasn't last night's pizza? And depending on your age, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes that happens. Well, the first thing we have to do, now don't accuse me of being Captain Obvious because I have a few here, but I think we don't do it. How many of you ask? God doesn't generally jam wisdom down your throat. You have to ask. And in Matthew 7, it says, ask and keep on asking and it'll be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. Everyone who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. Again, I'm going to go back to use the, the analogy of a child. How many of you have hung out with a two-year-old or a three-year-old before? And maybe you said, they said, can we go to the park? And you said, yes, we can go to the park. But you gave them some time frame, which is usually our downfall as a parent. You said, um, 15 minutes. And as we all know, to a two-year-old, 15 minutes means absolutely nothing. And so what do they do two minutes later? Can we go to the park now? No, I said 15 minutes. Two minutes later, can we go to the park now? No, no. So you get that. So God is not annoyed by that. He wants us to keep coming. He wants us to keep asking. And then the other thing is, is if we look at James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he won't rebuke you for asking. 
Now, being a teacher, I hope I am never this person. I have some students in here today, so maybe they'll call me out on this, I don't know. But have you ever been made to feel stupid for asking a question in class? I actually had one teacher tell me, there are no stupid questions, but there are stupid people. <clears throat> I don't use that one in class because that's not probably uh, the thing to say. And sometimes the question feels that way, especially as a teacher when you just answer that exact question four times in the last 10 minutes. But hey, this tells us God doesn't do that to us. So how amazing is that? That we can go to him and he's not going to say, you know, that's a really dumb question. Where you're at right now, you should probably already know this. He doesn't do that. And I, it, as a teacher, that's just amazing to me, because I'll admit sometimes as a teacher, you really want to say it. You really want to, but you can't. You can't do that. That's not okay. Um, <laughs> some people say that we should not bother with small questions. And I, I've heard this preached. I don't know if you've heard this preached too, that we shouldn't come to God with really tiny issues. Why? I mean, he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful, and he's all-present. What are we going to do? Tap him? Right? Are we going to, oh, I'm sorry, I'm out today. He's got nothing left? No. In fact, I think Peter tells us differently. If we look at 1 Peter 5, 7 in the Amplified, cast all your cares, your anxieties, your worries, your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares about you. If you look at the Greek, do you know what all means? All. It means everything. So to me, that says that if it's the tiniest thing, that you're upset with how your hair turned out today, or you are upset with the way your car is running. Or you're upset about your job and you need a new job. Or whatever that situation is, he cares. He wants to know. And again, by the way, you're not surprising him. He's not shocked by what you're asking him. Matthew 11 tells us, Come to me all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me as my disciple. I am gentle and humble in heart. Find rest, renewal for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we have to ask to get into a position so we can hear, right? I, mean, I don't know if any of you have ever had this, especially those of you who are married, but sometimes we as spouses can play the guess what's in my head game. Has anybody played that? I can do it as a teacher and it's annoy it annoys me when I do it. I'm sure it annoys my students, but God reads your mind, but he still wants us to ask. So now hearing aid number three, this is another Captain Obvious moment. Here we go, you ready? We hear by listening. Okay, again, using our example, how many of you, again, this seems to be with spouses, but it can be with anyone, and one person is talking, and they say, are you listening to me? And you said, I heard you. It's not the same thing, is it? Right? So we have to listen. Um, I firmly believe God is more willing to speak than we are to listen. And I don't think that our society has helped us at all in this. Um, but we have to listen. I go back to the author of Proverbs in, in Proverbs 4.20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. He said incline. Since I have some hearing struggles, there are times when if we're talking, I'm going to lean this way because I hear better on this side. But I think that's a little bit what the author of Proverbs is saying is incline, lean in, be intent, focus. So we have to take time to do this. So I, I, this is what's worked for me. If this is useful to you, use it. If it's not useful to you, 
pretend I didn't say it. Uh, set a time aside to listen, not as a religious duty or a ritual, but, but set aside those distractions. Now, if you have young kids at home, and I've referenced this a number of times, trying to find five minutes to even think, I realize, is incredibly difficult. Uh, there are days when you're like, seriously, don't ask me another question, and I get that. But do we have other distractions? Most of us have one right here. Now, I didn't bring it up here because I didn't want it to go off while I was up here, but most of them have one in our pocket or purse called our phone. So I did a little research, and I went out to uh, an article on Incorporated Magazine, INC Magazine, and they summarized a number of studies, and I'm only going to talk about three of their findings. They had 10 or 12. It was a really fascinating article. Did you know that the average person swipes, taps, and clicks on their phone over 2,600 times a day? 2,600 times. The average smartphone owner unlocks their phone 150 times a day. We use a gadget 10 hours and 39 minutes on every day. That's almost half a day. And, and honestly, if I gave all 10, it, it's really sad from here. These are the, the highlights, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. There's, there's even more that really tells us, hey, what exactly are we doing? Um, so I think we need to set this phone aside. Now, <clears throat> those of you who are really young may not realize this, but there is an old school way to read your Bible. It's called paper. Um, probably a parent or grandparent has one you could borrow. You could even buy one, but it, your Bible is available in other forms other than on your phone. So I just thought I'd throw that out there, a little public service announcement for all those of you who are a little younger in the crowd. But sometimes we may need to go in a quiet room, pull out the old school version of our Bible, and maybe we start by reading the word a little bit or praying or praising. But I recommend you take some time and close everything else out and listen. See, see what God um, has to say. Uh, as I mentioned before, I think it's important that we start small, right? Maybe the first question you don't want to ask is, where should I move? But what else could you ask him? Could you ask him, hey, which way should I go home today? Could you ask him, hey, should I buy the red one or the blue one? I think we can, and, and stay with me for here for a minute, because I think this, is, this might seem odd, but I'll, I'll bring it back together. Once you've heard something, there's a number of ways that God confirms something to you, especially when it's larger decisions, at least, that I found. Uh, sometimes I've been praying about a particular topic. I feel like maybe I've heard something, and a scripture will come up in a daily devotion or something like that that really says, hey, you are paying attention. Sometimes a spouse or a close friend will say something to you kind of out of the blue, and I think that's God working in your life, and I have a story about that as we get to point four. Um, a couple of other things that have really helped shape my life. Uh, there was a message from a pastor named Reggie Scarborough. He actually pastored a church in Lakeland, and he would come up to Minnesota where we lived for many years. And one of the messages he preached was, if you don't know, don't go. And why I say that is sometimes you just don't have, and this fits into my next point, you don't have peace. I think that God leads us by peace. And if you're making a decision, sometimes it's nervousness. Sometimes you're a little concerned about, hey, can I really do what you've asked me to do? But at the same time, you can have peace. You can be concerned. You can be nervous. But the Holy Spirit can provide that inner peace that you're walking down the right path. So if we look at John 14, it says, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who he will send in my name, he'll call you to re he, he will cause you to recall. But the second part of that, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My own peace I give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. So if you don't have that peace, don't do it. Because even if you make a mistake, I don't think this scenario has ever happened. Let's imagine the throne room for a minute. And for whatever reason, God happens to be watching what you're doing this instant. And Jesus is sitting next to him and they watch you just totally biff it. Just totally screw it up. Do you really think God leans over to Jesus and goes, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> or now what are we going to do? Now we got to rethink the entire plan. So if you make a mistake and you're going to make some, be kind and gracious to yourself. God is. He's not up there going, nope, that's it. That's number 32 this week. You're out. That's not how it works. Or in my case, that's number 32 today. No, that's not the case. And we can look at numbers of scriptures, and I'll bring up just a couple. In Psalms, we see the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Even in Lamentations, which I don't find to be the most exciting book of the Bible, um, though the Lord's mercies are not consumed because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. I don't know if you think of it this way, but that's what they saw him as during the Old Covenant. How much better is our deal today? I think it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And then, you know, is he kind and gracious? Well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sent his son. That's pretty kind and gracious. That's pretty amazing, I think. Um, sometimes we don't understand what he's doing, and sometimes things aren't moving the way we think they are. And that's part of life, and that's part of the human condition. I wish I could tell you that God's going to tell you everything to do, and he's going to tell you what you want to hear and when you want to hear it, and he's going to give you the timing. I've asked God for a syllabus. I can't tell you how many times, and not once. Nope, that's not how he works, because it doesn't require faith. So point number four that I want you to take courage from is that God works on your behalf. Even when you can't see it, God is working. God is moving behind the scenes. Sometimes he's more obvious than others, but he's always working. So let me give you a little example from my life. So for many years, I had a good job. I got recognition. I got to travel around the world on the company's dime. Uh, so that was a really good program. But I wasn't fulfilled because <clears throat> I couldn't give back. I knew that if I left that company, they'd replace me in 10 minutes. They actually replaced me before I left, just incidentally, in case you were wondering. Um, so uh, let me just tell you how this worked out. So um, my in-laws, who many of you know, Bob and Dorothy, moved here in 2005. I'd been praying for years up to that point that, God, I want to do something else. I want to do something meaningful. Um, Chris and I uh, desired we wanted to move here in about 2008 and 2009. How good was the economy back then? Yeah, right? It seemed like Florida had no jobs, none. I'm sure it wasn't the case. Um, but that, that didn't happen. So we move here in 2013 and 2014. I'm still praying that God would do something different. But at the same time, how many of you know, um, you got to make money. you got to pay the bills. The kids really want food and clothes. You know, I mean, it's just kind of how that works. Uh, and so Chris and the boys moved down a couple months later. I moved down because my company said, yeah, you can keep your job till you find a new one. And then they said, no, you can't. You can leave now. So it's like, great, this plan, and I thought I had God, I'd heard from God, is, is kind of falling apart on me. But I believed I'd heard from God, so you keep moving. I applied for 124 jobs in five months. 
all of which I was qualified for, and got none of them. I was working with an employment agency, and they finally found me a job. I was going to be a sales manager for a web development firm here. Um, Friday, I was getting ready to start on Monday, the recruiter called, and he was in tears. And I said, yes, he was in tears. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. I've never seen this in my professional career. They're not going to hire you. You're done. You're out. I was crushed. That was hard, really hard. But you have to keep going. You've got to keep moving. So we had enrolled our kids in International Community School, and they have meetings a few times a year where you get to go and sit, and they have an announcements. And as you know, with kids in school, there's never an end of here's the next 4,000 events that we've got going on at the school. And I'm sitting in that meeting in November, and I hear the Holy Spirit tell me, you should go talk to the administrator about teaching there. Again, God is gracious and kind because I spent the next hour explaining to him why he was wrong and I was right. <clears throat> Clearly not the case, but, you know, he's, he's kind with me that way. Um, and I wasn't sure because, you know, as you know, you go into teaching for the wealth and the fame. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, God, is this really what you want me to do? Because I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Um, over the next week, three different people in my life said, hey, have you thought about being a teacher? And so by the third one, literally in two or three days, I'm like, okay, got it. Thank you very much. And so then what I did in, and I'm not proud to do this, is I procrastinated and pushed the meeting off as far as I possibly could because I was right and he wasn't. You'll see where this is going in a minute. Um, they had a job for me. I've been teaching for eight years. I love it. Who knew? Who knew? Well, obviously God did. But let me tell you why he was working on my behalf. So that journey took somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years. I'm hoping that not all of yours takes that long, but it could. Do you know how I found out about this school? Bob and Dorothy's neighbor. Ten years before I got that job, he put them in a the neighborhood so that that connection could be made. Ten years. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. He didn't tell me. But when you're in those times when God's, it seems like he's not telling you anything or not telling you what you want, understand he's working on your behalf. And I'll bet if I sat down with many of you, you can look back and see how God was connecting the dots long before you had any clue that that was going to happen. So understand, God is there. Now, um, as I start to wrap this up, why do I recommend you start small? Because it's inconsequential. If you buy the blue or the red one and it doesn't turn out right, you're going to be fine. If you have the chicken instead of the fish, as long as it's not got food poisoning, it's going to be okay. You might not like the way it's prepped, but it's going to be okay. The other reason I tell you this is because as you learn to hear his voice, at least this is how it's worked in my world, you start to know what's not last night's pizza and what's his voice. And, and how do I know this? How many of you can pick out your spouse's cough in a room and you don't even have to see him? or their laugh. Do you know why? Because you've heard it thousands of times. So as we gain experience with the small, then when something big comes on, you're a little more comfortable making that decision. So no matter where you are in your walk, start small, start today, practice this. It's like any other relationship. God's perfect on his end, but we're imperfect on ours. So practice, you're not gonna get it right every time. But as an old proverb says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Take that first step. Start walking back towards God. 
The last couple of things I'll say as we finish is he rarely provides exact timing. I wish he would, but he just isn't going to, I don't think. He's not going to say, you've got to stay in this job until next July, and then I'm going to bring the perfect job for you, so be patient. No, I'm sorry, that, that, I've never seen that. Maybe he does, but I haven't seen that. So as you're waiting, as you're wondering what he's going to do and when he's going to do it, do the work that he's put there in front of you. Whatever he's called you to do, I think one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, one of the greatest stories is his first one, where at the miracle of Cana, if you remember, it's the water into wine, and, and, and Mary says, um, Jesus, I want you to do this, and he looks at him, and he basically says, woman, it's not my time, but it was his mother, so he did it anyway, so all of you out there, <laughs> pay attention to your mother, but I don't know if you remember, this part has stuck with me ever since I've, I've read it recently. They came to her, and, and she said, whatever the master tells you to do, do it. Whatever Jesus is telling you to do, do it. Just do whatever he's asked you to do. Stay with the work that's in front of you. And then enjoy what there is to enjoy. A friend of mine many years ago who filled in like a grandmother for me, um, she uh, went to college during the Depression. She buried three husbands. And she looked at me one day and she said, you know, there's always trouble in this world, but there's always also something that's really good. And focus on the really good stuff because that's what gets us through. Um, if we can shift our understanding of how much he loves us, then maybe we can lean in to hear from him. Once we understand that he has our best interests in mind, then we can wait more patiently with the belief that he doesn't have, indeed have the situation under control. Believe that he loves you. Can we enter then into rest? Maybe this is what the author of Hebrews 13 was talking about as I struggled to enter the rest. Maybe that rest is saying, hey, the only work I need to do is whatever he's told me. Because it's really easy to get yourself busy and doing 9,000 things, but they aren't always what you should be doing. And I think that's how we, we get weary. We live in difficult times, but we serve an amazing God. First Thessalonians 5 tells us, rejoice and delight in your faith. Be unceasing and persistent in prayer. In every situation, no matter what the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Enjoy your life while you're waiting. And find, find things to celebrate. Because there's something to celebrate every day. Let's, let's pray. If you want to stand. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your work in our life. We thank you that you do speak to us. That you care and that you love us more than we probably can ever understand on this side of heaven. Help us to hear. Help us to set aside the distractions and to focus in on you and to learn to know you more and have faith that you're looking out for us and you have our best intentions. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>